hello, all you rambunctious red-tailed hawks out there. Welcome to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, sustainability, and cons- conservation. Woo! Uh, <laughs> so you we're can tell back. It's been, we're back. <laughs> it's been it's been a couple weeks. Hi, guys. We're excited. I'm one of your hosts, Casey, and I'm joined by the incredible Sarah. Sarah, how you doing? Hello. I'm doing well. Hopefully, we remember how to do this. I've already forgotten the title of or I guess the tagline <laughs> on our show. So it's not starting out great. It's going to be <laughs> fine. Hey, sorry. We left you all listeners for two weeks. We knew that we were going to miss one week and then things, things happened, fun things, exciting things, things you'll hear about later on in the year. Yeah. We're going to be those podcast hosts now being like, Oh, exciting things are coming down the line, <laughs> but you don't get to know about them until you forgot that we teased it. So, <laughs> but that was fun. And, uh, and you'll hear about it later. Yeah. But we're back. So we are back and yeah, it's, it's good to be back. I went on a very long road trip over the yeah, course of the, the, the couple of weeks that we were off the air. And that was part of the, the inspiration for what we're going to talk about tonight too. But I'm trying to think of anything else that's happened. I think I have already shared that my sunflower that I planted is blossoming. So that's been fun. Yay. I tried two things. The, over the past couple of days, I've tried oat milk. Oh, non-dairy oat beverage. How was it? <laughs> yes, I had a non-dairy <laughs> oat beverage. Mine was not chocolate flavored as yours was. That's the downfall. It was also not the several people when I had posted about soy milk, several people had recommended a specific kind of like creamy oat Oh yes. Yes. It was not that either. This was just, I was ordering from a grocery service and they didn't have soy milk, but they had oat milk. So I ordered what they have guys. Not, I was not a fan. It's fine. Like I'll drink, I'll finish the carton because I've got it, but I definitely preferred my soy milk to the oat milk. The problem is, is that it smells like oatmeal and I don't like oatmeal. Oh, well, yeah, that you're, you don't seem like the demographic for oat milk. Then I am the demographic for chocolate. And so therefore mm-hmm. chocolate favored things are generally pretty much in the vicinity. I've met a couple chocolate flavored things that I didn't care for, but not very many. Sure. I did a, a beyond beef patty. Uh, that was the other thing I had an impossible okay. burger. Yeah. Okay. All right. So how was some- yours? It was great. Actually, I got it from Aldi, which like normally I don't really try and go for the plant-based meats because there's lots of other protein alternatives. Like yeah. it's not always about the meat. It's about right. the protein. Um, but if they're on sale, I'm gonna get them and they were at Aldi. So I got them. And I would say one of the, the things I've had an issue with, with impossible burgers is I've never cooked them myself beforehand. And I feel like when I've had them at restaurants, it has been cooked by someone who cooks them the same exact way that you would cook a burger patty. Mm. And that doesn't always translate the right way. Like I had them at Wayback's burgers. I had a impossible cheesy burger and, and like, you could tell that the, the sandwich was not made for the impossible burger, but I had the beyond beef, which is another brand. And we just cooked it in the skillet for like six minutes, flipped it halfway through. And I, I genuinely enjoyed it. So Good. I, I would recommend I, well, I had this, I think was my first ever impossible burger. Oh, wow. I don't think I've ever actually had one and I, I made this one myself and yeah, like lit- it was like two minutes on each side maybe. And it's kind of fun if you're, you know, it does because it's, it's a pinkish color when you start up and it browns 
up just like a hamburger would, which is, I mean, they've clearly designed this to appeal to people who want a beef hamburger more than somebody who is already committed. So, uh, so I thought that was kind of fun to do and see for the first time. I, it was fine. It seemed very bland to me. Sure. And I am normally like, I don't put a lot of condiments on my burgers. I'll do like lettuce, tomato. That's it. Like I'm very, I keep it, keep it simple. I, I needed, I felt like I wanted more. I needed something else with a little flavor on this one, but it didn't, it was fine. Like it tasted fine. It just didn't have a whole lot of flavor to it. So, but it was good to try. I'll share on our social media, my favorite veggie burger recipe. It's flavorful. I think that's like the, the best thing it's homemade and it's flavorful and it doesn't have to taste like beef, but it has like the like heartiness that you need out of beef. And so that's what I'll go to most of the time. I don't normally spend the extra bucks on, on the fake stuff. Yeah. But it was tasty. Yeah. Share it. If you've got a recipe, I want to share it with me anyway. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Um, so the day we're recording, but not today, but I'll post it on social media. It's world turtle day. It is world turtle day. Happy world turtle day. I have a turtle story. Uh, the pond in my dad's backyard has several species of turtles in it, um, including snapping turtles, which always kind of terrified me as a kid. And they're like really large snapping turtles were in the North. So they're not the alligator snapping turtles, but they're still like a good, like 50 pound snapping turtle, like mm-hmm. a big old snapping turtle. So we saw one in the shallow end of the pond and it was like up in the reeds and he was, Oh, come see it. So we were like standing up on the bridge looking at it and it was really cool. And then all of a sudden we saw it raise up, which like, I, you do not want to see snapping turtles be able to do that. <laughs> I appreciate that they are like flat to the ground because they are a limited threat to me, but it was like raising up out of the water. And I was like, what is happening? And then underneath like Jurassic it, Park, it was, it was like a Mosasaur and you're like, oh no. And we were close enough. You could like see it like blink. So we were close. Um, and I should say, see him blink because the reason that the, <laughs> he was raising up is because there was a lady tortoise underneath him a lady <laughs> and she was un happy. So they like chased each other into the pond. You could see the trail of bubbles, but I'd never seen anything like that before. It was so cool. Such a nature moment. So spend some time. It's spring. There's stuff happening. That's amazing. (laughs) Uh, What a great world turtle day story. I don't have a turtle story, but I do have to mention because we've talked about it on the podcast. I finally saw my first alligator since moving back to Florida. When we talked improbable. About, <laughs> when we talked about it on the podcast episode, I was like, yeah, you just see them when you go out. And then I never saw them. But sure enough, I did. I was out just taking my dog for a walk in a neighborhood and there was a pond and there was an alligator. So you really do just see them when you're out walking around. Uh, but I was happy to, to finally have seen one. So not as exciting as your story, but that, that, that's my Barrier. wild. <laughs> <laughs> no, alligators are cool. Just don't go close to them. But uh, they freak me out a little bit. I don't know what it is. Little prehistoric monsters. Same with snapping turtles. It's true. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about cities tonight. Like I mentioned, uh, I was on a road trip not too long ago. I had to drive through several cities. So I'm going to keep it nice and simple for you tonight. Casey, what's your favorite city that you've ever been to? 
My favorite city I've ever been to is Edinburgh, Scotland. Oh, I knew you were going to go with an overseas <laughs> one. I'm so jealous. Uh, not that I spent a lot of time there, but the couple days that I did spend there were like just straight up magical. Um, I stayed in a hostel and like that's something interesting about Europe is that in the US we've got lots of just chain hotels where you'd be like, oh, I'm staying at a Motel 6 or a Holiday Inn and you kind of understand what you're getting. And my experience, at least in Europe, is that they have hotels, but they're like generally independently owned and um, fancier. And then there's hostels. And when you're a college student, you're like <laughs> 10 bucks a night. Yeah. So I stayed in a very scary 10 bucks a night one in uh, London, but the like 15 bucks a night one in Scotland had like a room full of records and a bunch of bunk beds. And I, I met um, some really cool kids from NYU and we like all went out into the city exploring and there's a castle up on the hill and you can, like climb out up the mountain and King Ar like Arthur's seat and Oh, it, it was a nice adventure. So uh, not that I've spent a long amount of time. So maybe people who like live there long term are like, not nah, it's not that magical. But the the like three days I had there, I just thoroughly enjoyed myself. There's lots of cool history um, and it, it just really spoke to me. So Edinburgh, Scotland is mine. Awesome. What So as you were talking, I had one. This is not what I was originally going to say, but I did really love, I have been overseas too, back before I developed my paranoia of flying. So I would say Melbourne, Australia, oh, and I spent even cool. less time there than you did. In, like I was only there for a few hours. Like we were literally just passing through kind of, we had a couple hours before we went to the airport basically. But I, so I don't have any specifics, but I do just remember the feeling of the city. It just felt very friendly. It felt very, like, even though it's a big city, it didn't feel like a big city, at least in my mind's eye, my recollection. Like we walked around a lot. We got to see a lot of different things. Um, I would, if, if I didn't have to fly, if I could teleport, <laughs> I would go back there. Would you take a boat? A, a boat more. sounds so much scarier than an airplane. Oh, not to me. me. I would, I would take okay, a boat, all except right. that it would take a really long time. But uh, so I did really love it there. What I was going to say is much closer to home for me. And that is why I would call it my favorite city. I, I'm not really a city person. Uh, we'll talk more about me this either. in the episode, but I do have... A soft spot for Chicago in particular, just because it's very close to where I grew up. It's where my dad's side of the family is from. So I have a lot of family that is still there. And so I almost have some nostalgia, homey feelings <laughs> tied to it, going to visit my grandparents and, uh, you know, and there's a lot of cool stuff to do. They have some great zoos, aquarium, museums, uh, all that, all that kind of stuff as, as lots of big cities do, but yeah, it has a lot of character too. Yeah. Like there's a lot of cool aspects of it that feel very Chicago. I, I enjoy Chicago. Yeah. yeah. So that's, if I were, if I had to pick a city that I had to, a big city that I had to live in, it, it would be Chicago for sure. So we're going to talk more about cities tonight. We're just going to chat a little bit about cities, cities impact and relationship with nature and the environment and kind of what the future of cities should look like going forward. So stick around for that.
Welcome back, everybody. We are talking about cities tonight and the interaction between cities and nature. I kind of want to talk about this a little bit because I feel like, and maybe this is just me projecting, because as I've said, I'm not really, I wouldn't consider myself a big city person, but I think it might be easier for folks to think, oh, if we're talking about the environment, cities are bad. They are these big concrete jungles full of pollution and no green spaces and we're we've destroyed all the wildlife and and all of that but I wanted to get a little more nuanced than that tonight uh, because cities a they they do have benefits and b they're not going anywhere. We are, uh, we've got a lot of cities in the world and they are uh, only projected to grow. So I want to kind of talk about what the impacts of cities are and what we can do about it. And can I like see the alternative is not necessarily exclusively better. Like suburban sprawl has lots of issues. Yes. So more concentrated humans can be more efficient. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll touch on that as we go on too. So right now, according to multiple sources that you can find, more than half of the world's population, so we're talking global right now, lives in a city. And by our favorite year, 2050, uh, the, everyone's everyone's favorite deadline, uh, 2050. The world's going to uh, look so different in 2050 if we uh, actually do anything in I the know, meantime. Right? Uh, but it's projected that about two-thirds of the global population will live in cities. Now, when I read stuff like this, I'm immediately like, well, what? does that really mean like what is a city (laughs) actually how are we defining cities and this is maybe a little bit tangential to the actual conversation that that we're going to have tonight but I did at least want to touch on it obviously when we're talking about cities we're talking about areas with higher population density so more people concentrated in a specific location but there are different definitions of what a city might be in different understandings I was reading an article that looked at a survey of folks who lived in cities, but it asked them to sort of say whether they lived in an urban, suburban, or rural area. And especially with suburbs in particular, the, the, things didn't always line up maybe to what the actual like census definition was. So I wanted to at least mention that. So Casey, would you, do you consider yourself, live? do you live in a city? Have you always lived in a city or how would you define kind of where you live? Huh. Okay. I'm going to get the numbers wrong probably, but I remember having to like, when we were in like the fifth grade do city hall, how does Mm -hmm. local government work? And I remember the town that I grew up in had like 22,000 people in it, Okay, which is not like a small town but didn't quite feel like an, like an urban center. Mm -hmm. We were always considered, um, suburbs of Philly, like, which is a little generous because, you know, you're far enough away that are you, but yes, people still work, work in Philly. People still commute between them. And then the town I live in right now has always been a little bit smaller. And I would say it's becoming more of a city, but I always considered it more of a a town. Like we, I don't know, we were always, I would say, the burbs is always where I've lived up until when I lived in Indianapolis. 
Yeah. I feel like that's true for me too. And even with Indianapolis, I, I was like as far out as you could possibly mm-hmm. get and still technically like have that as your designation. So I would have qualified my location as a suburb pretty much for all of my life, but that ties back in. And I mean, even right now, I guess right now I would probably have to say I live in a city, but I live sort of adjacent to a much larger city than the city that I actually live in. So, but it is a very, I would say urban area, but it is a very sprawled out area that I live in. So going back to what you mentioned about this idea of urban sprawl or suburban sprawl, uh, as you call it with these suburbs that start radiating out from the cities and then growing and growing, I feel like it can be hard to, to, to distinguish actually what we're talking about. So um, from a, an article on the, from the Nature Conservancy, um, they, they say that flat out that different countries might have their own definition for what con- constitutes an urban area. And there are different definitions. According to the United States Census Bureau, an urbanized area is considered one that has a population of 50,000 or more. But then there's also something called an urban cluster, which would have a population uh, between 2,500 and 50,000 people. So just throwing that out there for a little um, perspective, I guess, as we continue the the conversation about I feel cities. like Indianapolis must be the only city in Indiana. Is that wrong? Is that? <laughs> That's wrong. So I think just this is just one definition. So you don't have to have a population of 50,000 to be called a city. There are lots of cities that are smaller than that. Um, it might be that urban clusters are considered cities as well. Um, but even so, Indiana has multiple places that have populations of above 50,000 for sure. Okay. South Bend. Yeah. I, which is where I grew up, except I didn't actually grow up in South Bend. I grew up in Granger, which had like has like 30,000 people or something okay. like that. So I didn't actually live in the city of South Bend, but it was connected to South Bend basically. So it is interesting and it's hard like it's hard for me yeah. to to wrap my brain around. Like when I think if, if somebody was like, oh do you live in a city? I feel like that means downtown. <laughs> like yeah that's, I think that's, that's what fair. that means in my brain. But it's not really that's downtown isn't all of a city cities do spread out beyond that detrimentally typically uh with with what we're going to talk about so i feel like my problem with cities just personally is i don't know i find cities at least at least some cities and at least from a a distance to be depressing and overwhelming I feel like cities are just they are just big loud uh there's so much going on they feel messy I don't want to name any names Atlanta (laughs) but like driving through Atlanta is (laughs) horrifying to me because you're driving like through the city and there's like eight lanes of traffic going every which way and just buildings everywhere and so much going on and it just feels 
like chaos to me. Um, but on the flip side, I think if you're actually spending time in a city, there's a lot that can be positively said for them. You know, there's excitement. There's a lot of things to do. If you're in a city that's really walkable and has a lot going down, uh, going on downtown, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of fun things to be said about spending time in cities from a human perspective. So good things, bad things. Some people really love being in the city. Looking at it from the nature standpoint, though, Casey, what would you say are maybe some of the biggest obvious impacts that cities have on the environment or on nature? Well, there's nothing in nature that's anything like a city, like the amount mm-hmm. of just sheer concrete and buildings just doesn't like it's it feels concentrated concentrated um that's why I feel like you probably feel that way when you're kind of depressed in there same with me like if I don't have a green space around me that feels like a little bit quiet and less uh noisy both like emotionally and physically like that that feels tough especially as someone who grew up in an area that did have a little bit more breathing space you've got the, so when you've got that big dense urban center, it really does become an area that's going to be a source of pollution. Um, whether it's going to be all the noise, all the light, all the plastic, all of the chemical runoff coming in this area that has not a lot of impervious surface or has a lot of impervious surfaces. Those are all Mm -hmm. going to be issues and like air pollution. (laughs) I don't know. There just seems to be a, it feels like human beings concentrated right (laughs) Right? like almost like the worst part of our environmental impact concentrated if that makes sense yeah but it it is it is a thing to think about because that is as will hopefully become more and more clear as we're talking that is the pro and the con right cities the pro is that you're getting a lot of people in one space And that produces a lot of cons as well. So it's kind of funny um, to think about that. But yeah, all of those things that you just listed off, a lot of them we have talked about on the podcast previously, things like noise pollution, light pollution, runoff from all of that those concrete surfaces, um, which can cause uh, water pollution that way. We've talked about habitat fragmentation and the the breaking up of habitats, making it difficult for animals that are migrating or looking for mates, looking for food, whatever the case may be. Uh, According to the IUCN, cities have impacted basically all ecosystems on Earth at this point and have contributed to loss of biodiversity. The expansion of cities, like we talked about, as um, more and more people start to live in cities, Urban expansion is expected to result in up to 1.53 million square kilometers of new urban land. Oh, I didn't put the year. Directly threatening 855 species. I think that's leading up to that 2050 date as well. I didn't specifically put that in there. Um, But this was a, a study... Uh, in part worked on by uh, Karen Cito, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, who apparently is the coordinating lead author of the urban mitigation chapter of the IPCC report, which Casey has talked to us a little bit about in a previous episode of podcast as well. So that is one of the things that the IPCC is looking at as well. So I I did want to, as we 
read off that number, that 1.53 million square kilometers of urban expansion. I do want to just mention that that is not all like we're saying this sort of downtown expansion. Mm -hmm. This is just cities in general, people living expansion. So even though, um, like I said, I would consider myself having lived in the suburbs most of my life. So people had more space maybe between the houses, but what did they have in those spaces? They had lawns. Um, So even though these (laughs) suburban spaces might have more room, have a little more green color to them, they're also still altering the landscape. Even the rural areas, these are going to be converted to agriculture then that are going to be feeding uh, these cities. So it is important to remember that those landscapes aren't natural either. So as these cities are expanding, these other things are expanding to and altering the landscape. Landscape. I feel like thinking about like each human, we need a certain amount of resources to survive, mm-hmm. including a dwelling space. And so I feel like when you think about that, instead of thinking about like, well, everyone needs a house, like thinking about, okay, but my house plus my lawn is really actually this land that like lawns specifically aren't really being utilized as a resource to sustain the human life. And so we really do like use them for almost use useless practical purposes. Like they're not actually serving the resources needed to keep us alive. Not that they don't serve any function whatsoever, but as far as like, no matter where you place the human being, they're going to need food that requires agriculture, or they're going to need resources to be able to power their, their house. When we put them in a more concentrated area for their living situation, all of a sudden they're closer to a lot of the things that they need. And then that suburban space isn't just taken up by like, I don't know, golf course, mini golf courses basically is what we have put down in, at least in America. Yeah, true. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's kind of the the pro city argument, which we'll, we'll come back to this more too, but looking to, to what we need cities to do is yeah, they need to bring people in living closer together, but we have to give people access within our cities because part of the problem is again I go back to just I if you're listening from Atlanta know that I love you (laughs) I just have to I've driven through your city a lot and it's terrifying for me so I have to pick on it but uh like if I were on one side of Atlanta like I just feel like there's you're not going to have access to everything that you need in a walkable distance if you're you know living in some any big major city here in the United States. So I think that's part of what we need to think about with our cities is arranging them in such a way that you do have more walkability to get to uh, the resources that you actually need within them. I do also want to mention as we're thinking about the impact on land and animals with our cities, it's also important to remember that there is wildlife in our cities. They're not just wastelands of wildlife and in some cases it's it's really important wildlife as well i think we always joke about things like the squirrels that we see running around everywhere we also think about things like coyotes and you know opossums yeah uh, those those types of things but lots of bird species as well there's a significant amount of bird species that can be found in our cities some of them um i 
think that like the Peregrine Falcon was one that gets mentioned a lot as doing better in city environments than they do outside of city environments now that they've really adapted um, and found a way. So I think that's something to think about too. And again, something that we need to remember as we're figuring out how to improve our cities in the future. So that's kind of looking at cities and nature. Casey, what about, we've touched on this already a little, but what do you think about the relationship between cities and human health? What what are some of the challenges maybe with cities and public health? Well, air pollution is definitely a big one mm-hmm. when you are in an area that like both has less trees <laughs> and has uh, more production of energy and goods in a concentrated area, you're going to have uh, and cars, obviously. I feel like I keep talking around cars, like cars are a huge issue. Yes. Um, especially in cities because they make everything less efficient. Also, like the whole COVID of it all. Can you imagine two years ago us being like, oh yeah, everyone's like everyone seemed to be fleeing the cities at that point? Mm-hmm. Like New York was a terrifying place at the beginning of the COVID 19 pandemic in the US because of the close living quarters. Um, it's also sort of a distillation of a lot of the issues that we have in society in general, just kind of in like one place when you have a lack of resources to help support vulnerable people, you're like, it feels like they end up concentrating in the city environments. So whether it's folks who are unhoused or, um, you know, certain areas of cities that get designated as food deserts because companies aren't willing to put stores that have healthy food in them. Like it's, it's kind of, again, the concentration of humanity ends up, mm-hmm. I think, exposing some of our, our more problematic yeah. elements. There's also like, gr- obviously great culture and vibrancy to cities. And like, I know my sister moved from this sleepy town in Jersey. Uh, she moved there when she just graduated uh, college to be an engineer. She hated it because it was so quiet. It was so like everybody basically were suburban parents. And then when she moved to Philly, she just found life there so much better because she did have better access to things happening around her restaurants and friends and easy public transportation. So, um, yeah, there's like that balance going on, but definitely impacts for human health. Yeah. So I think, yeah, air pollution being one of the big ones, I wish I had uh, written down some of the stats in terms of the asthma and loss of life, honestly, that's uh, estimated to come from air pollution. But something that I hadn't thought about much was kind of what you're talking about with the cities kind of enhancing the disparity a little bit. So the wealth gap uh, in cities and the relationship that, that that would have to nutrition. So I was surprised with nutrition and access to nutrition as being one of the things that came up as a, a human health issue with cities. But it's uh, oftentimes, I guess, because food is more expensive mm. in cities. So it's for folks who are uh, in poverty or living on the, the lower end of the socioeconomic scale, Uh, it's hard for them to get access to nutritious food in cities. And on the flip side, folks who are exceedingly wealthy in cities, and also I think it's both wealth and related to jobs, the sedentary nature of some of the jobs uh, that exist in cities that leads to 
issues with obesity on the other side as well. So I had never really thought about nutrition as being a health issue associated with, with cities, but then, yeah, you also mentioned the, just the disease risk from folks living in close quarters. Again, I think, especially with folks who are, I keep saying poverty, but living on it, you know, in poorer conditions are going to struggle from that. But even, yeah, thinking about COVID and this, we would see those images from the streets of New York or other big cities as well, where, you know, all of these restaurants and things like that are in these such small close quarters um, that, that, that can be risky as well. So there are things to think about. And again, all of these things are things that you would want to address uh, with cities in the future. One thing we also haven't touched about is something that you touched about. And I think our second episode ever nature deficiency Mm -hmm. disorder, which happens because people don't get the exposure to nature. And so it ends up uh, both having correlated health impacts, like things like nearsightedness. And uh, again, these other childhood issues, um, but also having a lack of empathy and understanding for our natural environment. So it's also having like, I, I consider this a public health aspect. It's maybe for sure. edges on the, like the societal health, but it absolutely is a negative impact to being so divorced from natural spaces. Yeah, absolutely. And or, or it could be, shall we say. So we need to figure out how to address that better in our cities as well. And then real quick, I do just want to mention cities and carbon emissions. We've talked about cars. I think that's one of the big issues with a lot of the cities that we have, and I'll say at least here in the United States, is that our cities are car dependent. And I feel like that is the biggest thing. If you want to have a good, sustainable city, we need to figure out how to make them not be dependent on having a car. So the the transportation can be a source of emissions, obviously that air pollution as well, um, but also industry from our cities. So cities produce over 70% of global carbon emissions, and that does come from transportation and industry. So I think finding ways to uh, cut those emissions is gonna be essential for the future development of cities. I do want to just mention too that a city that is producing a large amount of emissions for industry, you can't necessarily always blame that city for that because there are cities who um, have industries in which they produce products or materials that are then utilized (laughs) in other cities who get the benefit of those materials without the corresponding kind of pollution and emissions that come from that. So that's just a thing to be aware of. Uh, It is also worth pointing out that cities are going to feel the brunt of climate change resulting from these emissions as well. I think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, this idea of urban heat islands. Case, can you share with us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, plants cool things down. (laughs) And so when we end up with a lot of concrete or especially darker surface materials, it ends up creating an area that tends to be much warmer than the surrounding areas. So when you take a temperature in the middle of a city, it's almost always going to be higher, especially in the summer, than uh, outside of the city. And during climate change, we're trying not to get hotter and hotter. Um, I think the other thing to mention on it too, is that, um, because of the concentration of pavement, 
a lot of these cities aren't necessarily built to withstand some of the severe flooding that will come with increased storms. Good point. That's my sister's master's degree. She's getting is in um, stormwater management and looking at green infrastructure to try and help mitigate that. But I just found out my new house floods a lot. So I'm also like got a little bit of a bee in my bonnet (laughs) (laughs) to start looking at like, okay, yeah, everyone's yards are lawn though. How do we how do we get more, uh, rain gardens installed? How do we install yeah. more? Um, like it comes down to things like keeping the streets clean to not clog the storm drains. Like they're so, but this is at such a massive scale at cities that they are going to have more flooding. They are going to have more issues. And it is almost always going to be the people who don't have the resources to cope with it, who are going to suffer the most in the first place. Yeah. So with that, I mean, that's a, a good example of, of an impact and some things that we need to do in our cities to try to help mitigate those impacts. So given all that, let's talk about the future of cities. If we know that our urban population is only going to grow and we know that we need to be working on things to help protect our planet, to help uh, you know, mitigate the effects of climate change, let's talk about some things that cities need to do to improve upon uh, for the future. So Casey, just off the top of your head, because I know that you have a lot of things in your head. <laughs> what are what are some of the things that you're familiar with that cities are doing or can do, or what do you think they should do to improve for the future to become more sustainable? I feel like number one's got to be transportation. Like, mm. and and some cities have excellent transportation, but even in like New York City, that's renowned for its subway, like they need some major updates to their subway system. Eliminating cars eliminates air pollution, carbon emissions, runoff from oil and gas that leaks in areas. So like, I feel like that's almost this huge key to (laughs) to turning a lot of the big impacts of cities down is to figure out a way to better have public transportation that's funded on that. Yeah, I think that's a a really good one. And it is, it's more than just saying, okay, yep, here's this bus system or here's this train system. So this is where we're talking about you've, you've got to make these cities accessible. And I think our cities, especially like as urban populations grew previously, I think sometimes they grew quickly. The urban planning just wasn't there. And we did just get this literally urban sprawl. Like our cities just, oh, we've outgrown the city. Let's just keep building more, building more. Here's this road. Okay. Now we're going to put a freeway here, um, right smack through the middle of your city. Um, (laughs) (laughs) well, I also like think about, because I, you know, grew up near Philly, but then moved to the Midwest. I'm like, mm-hmm. these roads were somehow made for cars and all of the roads I've ever driven on have been made for horse and buggies. <laughs> and it's like a very frustratingly inefficient, like traffic is like my least, that's the reason mm-hmm. I don't like cities. I yes. didn't really talk about, I don't like traffic. I don't, I yep. like, like being there. I don't like not knowing where I'm going in the best of circumstances, but the pressure's turned way up when you're inside a city yes. and all of a sudden, like your movement impacts everybody. Yes. And you have to make I your decisions it. so fast. Oh. Oh my God. Oh. Andrew said, I'm not allowed to drive in Philly anymore, which I'm fine with. Please take, yeah. take the wheel. Um, yeah. So like that, that I feel like is number one, obviously like as the country, we have to switch over to clean energy. That's not just a, True city thing like our power grids are fueled by lots of different sources but 
man, we got to like, if that's where most of the people are, that's where most of the energy is going. Mm-hmm. Then we got to have it come from clean sources. Right. Yeah. And I don't have a, a lot to add to that. Cause as you say, that is more than just a city problem. Some cities are already working on it and, and doing it well and making some changes, but yeah, I feel like that is a, that's a, a entire country power grid uh, issue, which we'll talk about more as the summer goes on when we continue our energy series. But yeah, <laughs> that is, that is something that our, our cities will, will need to work on for sure. Um, we've talked about green buildings in the past before too. I think we've talked a little bit about buildings being LEED certified and all of what goes into that. So that's something, of course, our cities can think about if they are building new structures, making sure that they're following the most sustainable practices for that. Also things like literal green buildings. So things like having green rooftops and that sort of things. So we talked about that urban heat island effect that comes from all of the all of that concrete structure so green roofs literally just having plants on the roof basically for as the most succinct way to say it that's going to help not only insulate your building and um, help with heating and cooling costs it's going to help reduce runoff and that's going to help reduce that urban heat island effect a little bit as well so there are some cities and you can look up pictures of different places around the world that have used that to great effect. That's really pretty and really interesting to look at as well. Casey, have you seen the new Dr. Strange movie? This is a little bit aside. Have you seen? So the one, not no spoilers really for those of you who are listening, but one of the places that we travel to in the movie made me think of this as well, where you can kind of see a lot of what looks like green structures on the buildings in some of their cities. Yeah, that was an interesting way to go in that multiverse. (laughs) It's it's like not a plot point at all. Like it's just a background detail is that this is a more green sort of New York Mm -hmm. multidimension. Yeah. Um, But it's, yeah, it's just basically setting and vibes. So yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, anyway. Uh, So yeah, that's something that you can work on as well. And then I do want to mention that wildlife as well. So it is going to be important going forward that we do acknowledge and realize that we need to share our cities with wildlife and make sure that there is usable habitat for them um, as well. And I had, had pulled some quotes from a couple of studies, but just t- basically talking about that these sort of unused spaces in cities are just sort of uh, overlooked a lot um, and, and really making sure that we're taking advantage of the space that we have, that even fragments of yards, like literally, even if you just have plants on your balcony, these can help make a sort of corridor effect for wildlife through our cities. And, and these are useful, like studies are showing that if we kind of look out for these spaces in our cities, we can have a really useful, valuable area for conservation for wildlife. So I think that that's something that cities need to address as well. Also turn off your lights at night for light pollution with the migrating birds. Protect that's, those migrating yes. birds. Turn, Absolutely. Turn, turn down the lights. So there's no one solution that we can say uh, is going to work like every city should do 
X, Y, and Z exactly like this, because it's going to depend on what the city already has. It's going to depend on what the city looks like now. It's going to depend on the size of the city and all of those types of things in terms of how we're going to get to all of these solutions or make all of these, these reachable. But those are the types of things that we want to be looking at. And places are already doing it. Casey, I have a couple of photos of some of the things that um, we've talked about there. Um, Copenhagen, Denmark is one. And you can find lists if you just if you search sustainable cities in google you'll get a lot of different lists uh, about what the most sustainable cities are take all of that with a grain of salt because it really depends on uh, who you're asking and how you're defining it but you can find a lot of cool examples of different things that cities are doing that way i really liked this like bicycle highway in Copenhagen, Denmark. So they have um, worked really hard to make their city bike friendly and have they, this article that I shared was about kind of a new bike bridge that they had built to help give the cyclists even a separate space really from pedestrians to really make the um, the cyclists, I guess, the, the primary users of this um, particular space and I thought it, it looked really cool and it help, helps to get better accessibility in the city. Then you've got a picture of New York City uh, right there with some of those green roofs that I was mentioning. So they have some some really cool things there as well. And then Melbourne, Australia, like I had mentioned, really enjoying the city when I was there. I would love to go back now and see how they're progressing. They have a whole sustainability plan that you can read about online, which I like that in and of itself. Uh, but they, one of their goals or part of their plan is this idea of having 20 minute neighborhoods in their city. And this is not unique to Melbourne. Other cities are working towards this too. But that again, is that accessibility feature. If we want to take away a city's dependency on cars, then let's give our residents access to everything that they need. Are they going to have a grocery store that they can walk to? Are there going to be places of business? Are there going to be schools? You know, all of that, that folks can actually walk or bike or whatever to everything that they can get access to everything that they're, or public transportation uh, within a 20 minute span of time. And I love that idea. So lots of different things that cities can do. And I feel like this may be, if you're sitting here listening to this, you're like, well, I don't know, what, what does this mean for me? Am I, a, am I supposed to move to a city? Am I supposed to, you know, how am I supposed to feel? I don't have an answer for you uh, on that. Again, I feel like my goal tonight was just to think a little bit more in depth about what uh, some of those pros and cons are. Um, and of course, I do have some challenges for you so that no matter where you're living, we can hopefully work together to make sure that as we move forward and our cities are growing, we can make them a little more friendly to the environment. So we'll talk about what those specific things are in a moment. Casey, anything to add before we jump to our challenges? I think just circling back to that, that thing at the top, which is that even if you don't live in a city, chances are you live in some sort of like urban cluster or, you know, a town that has probably a downtown with some of the same sort of characteristics of the city. So maybe some of these things don't apply to you in the same sort of grand sense, but chances are some of the things we've been talking about, you've witnessed in kind of a microcosm. So I'm excited to hear your challenges. I bet you that they're going to apply to basically every one of our listeners, at least one of them. 
hopefully there, yes, hopefully there will be at least one for everyone. So thanks for listening. Thanks for chatting, Casey. Stick around, everybody. And we will be back with your challenges for the week. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to wrap it up with a handful of challenges, actually, because we all do live in different places and there might be different things that we can contribute or think about Um, with this. We might have different resources as well. I'm going to have a few challenges for you. The first one, I, I put this as just start by using what your city or location has. Do you actually have access to public transportation that maybe you aren't using? Look into it and see if maybe, even if it's not something you're like, I don't want to do public transportation every day. See if it's something that you might be able to do every once in a while. I did do this before I moved. It would have taken me two hours to get to my workplace. Oh, no. On our public transportation. Uh, so you may find that. You may find that the the public transportation that your location offers is, is not going to be usable for you. But look into it. See if there's something or even, you know, you might not be able to use it to go to work. Can you use it somewhere? Do you have uh, places that you can bike to? Casey, I want to get a bike. That's what I've learned through this. Yes. I could not bike to my workplace, but I could bike to the grocery store. I could walk to the grocery store, but yes, that is the thing. I could walk to the grocery store, but I wouldn't be able to carry it all back. So I need a bike with a basket when I, now I really want one. Oh, you'll be so cute in Florida. (laughs) It's going to be nice out. It's going to be hot. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it will be. Dodging alligators. Yeah, totally. That's that's exactly (laughs) what it would be like. Uh, But yeah, so that's my takeaway uh, for this week is that that I want to bike. Challenge number two is to use your space. Uh, That is including, so if you do live in a city, particularly if you live in more of a downtown area, what what can you do with your space to contribute to some of those things that we talked about? Again, you know, green space. Can you put out a plants for pollinators? Um, can you put out a rain barrel to help with, uh, you know, collect some of that uh, rain runoff? Uh, those types of things. What is something that you can do with your space that you have? Number three is something you can do from anywhere, wherever you live, check out your city, your town, whatever. Council, see if you've got a sustainability department, something uh, something like that. Look at what your local government is. Um, see if they have anything out. Like, Mel- like I said, Melbourne, Australia has this really great plan that you can read about online. See if your city, town, whatever has something like that, you know, one of the things that is going to be helpful moving forward is to help figure out how to curtail that urban sprawl. And what that is really going to entail is urban planning. And that's probably going to be our city councils and things like that, that are making those approvals, you know, trying to get those permits, regulations, all of those types of things. So by being familiar with and getting involved with your 
city council or whoever's doing those regulations can be really helpful. See if they have a social media page or something like that, that you can follow or an email list that you can stay up to date on. And the last one is kind of a fun one. And um, this isn't a current thing that you can do. I actually have to pull this up real quick because I think it happens in September. Casey, have you ever heard of parking day? I don't really know what it is unless you remind me and then I'll remember some sure. weird memory. Well, it's it's a, a small-ish thing, but it has grown over the years. And you can go to myparkingday.org and read about it. But it's they, they're right here on their website. They're calling it a participatory art project, uh, which oh, I yes. guess it can be. But it's kind of interesting. Basically, they go out and kind of temporarily reclaim some some public space usually some it's called parking day because I think originally it was like go out and just take up one parking space one public parking space in your city's area that's usually you know used for a car and you can do something green with it you know create a little park put a little green space there bring out some lawn chairs bring out some flowers whatever it is and just use that little space to make a little mini park, have some nature, have some connection time with other people. Um, it looks like it is happening this year on Friday, September 16th. So it's happening in the fall, but you can visit myparkingday.org and see if there is anything happening in a city near you. I do believe that this is a global thing. So um, no matter where you're listening from, you can check it out and see if there's something near you. Or if you feel so inclined, you can set up your own little parking day event. So that's just a fun little temporary way that you can kind of use that to bring some nature to your city. So I think that's kind of a fun one. Well, thanks, Sarah. That sounds like there's challenges out there. I just realized, so I'm moving to a new city in the next couple weeks as we move into our new home officially. And I, now I'm like, huh, I wonder if they have, cause it's the county seat, like the the city mm-hmm. that I'm moving to is the head of the county. So I'm like, huh, I wonder if we have a sustainability department, you would think for a whole county, we might yeah. have one. So I'm going to take a look at that. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks uh, as always, Casey, for your thoughts and discussion and opinions. I appreciate it. Thanks everyone for listening. It was so nice to, to be back. We're glad to be here doing this. We appreciate you listening. Um, If you would like to reach out and contact us for any reason, you can find us on Facebook. We're a little greener podcast. You can find us on Instagram at a little greener pod. Mm -hmm. You can find us on Twitter at a greener podcast, and you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. It's been too long since I've done that. I had to think twice. Had to remind yourself. (laughs) Well, thanks, Sarah. Thank you everybody for listening. And we will be back next week. You'll hear our voices again. Talk to you then. Bye.